inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Welcome to Radio Cade. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio. Today, we're going to talk about wires. Do we need them? Most of us are used to existing in a world now without wires, whether it's Bluetooth or other mediums. But how about wireless medicine? What if we can detect heartbeats and other vital signs without having anything touch your body at all? My guest today is Vic Ramprakash. He is the CEO of Structured Monitoring Products Incorporated, and he is working on just that. Vic, welcome to the program. Hey there. Nice meeting you. So Vic, tell us about what you've developed. This seems almost futuristic, right? As a kid, I can remember watching movies and films where in the future, there's no doctor. It's just a machine sort of looking over you and nothing is touching you and it sensors. But you are doing this in real life. Absolutely. So basically, if you put it this way, when you go to a doctor's office, the very first thing they want you to do is to check how you're doing initial assessment, like get your heart rate, respiration and your blood pressure. So think about every time they have to connect you to wires. And I think we live in this 21st century where things are getting more and more wireless. So one of my initial thoughts and ideas was like, what if we could do away with these wires? So that's how I started this process of thinking about it and making something towards that goal. Well, that seems extremely difficult. How difficult was it to create something that can detect a heartbeat or your breathing without contacting you? I would say I'm not the inventor for this technology. It's University of Florida where this technology was born at. So taking a step back, my background is in remote sensing technology. So when I started working with this technology, it's basically working with Landsat imagery, satellite imageries, and trying to review and see how things work out. So if you can think of the same way, UC Florida's electrical engineering department, they started working with sensors, and Dr. Jenshan Lin out there has focused on Doppler radar sensors, which is the same kind of sensors used for weather technology. What he was able to do was to miniaturize it almost to a size of credit card size. And his application was to use it for the human side. Now, here I am with a remote sensing degree, and I was doing my MBA at University of Florida. I said that I met him through Office of Technology Licensing from the university. And we hit it off, and we said, wow, this is technology is really cool, right? So you have this, which you have patents on, which could detect vital signs with no contact. And I said, why don't we start using this to get into the market? We start from there, and then we said, okay, let's look at an application. Where can we get this out? This is about a few years ago, but probably about five, six years ago. My wife just gave birth to my son and had some respiratory issues. So I was like, if I could really see him, you know, we had bought him a video camera, like the baby monitor, and whether we could just see how he's doing, like, yeah, obviously you can see him through the communicator and see how he's doing, but can we really see how he's breathing? So I think that's the genesis of the idea of how, if you can detect somebody's breathing with no contact, was the first step of looking through this. So you could monitor your son 24-7. Not that it's always important to be constantly monitoring your own vitals. That can lead to anxiety. But you could if you wanted to. And there's no invasion on your child who is sleeping there in his crib. He doesn't even know anything is happening. It's just a way for you to monitor what's happening, right? 
Exactly. That's the concept we started off with. And it actually worked. When we started initial analysis, we had a lot of research gone in, into the technology. We worked with the Florida High Tech Corridor technology folks. We gave us a grant for $50,000. And then what we started looking at when we started going to metal conventions, you know, it's a great idea. There's a lot of people trying to do the same thing which we were trying to do. There's universities out of Japan and South Korea. And even MIT's got something pretty similar to what we were doing. But here's the thing, right? It's the human variable. That is, you need to get it right 100% of the time. You cannot say 99 of 100 times it's not going to work because it's a child. And which parent wants to know that the device didn't work when you really want to know how the breathing of the child is, right? I've set up an alert if the breathing's not doing good or something like that. So we started looking for other revenues, and that's how we got into the veterinarian side. And that's how we started focusing on how to get it out on the veterinarian applications. Now, I grew up having a Jack Russell Terrier as a dog. Those are small dogs. They tend to think that they're huge dogs. And we named him Napoleon because he felt like he was a world conqueror. And there was really nobody that he would back down to. So if you had to take him to the veterinarian, it was not a pleasant experience. The vets were always a little nervous that he was going to wind up not liking what they were doing. Maybe he was going to snap at them. So in comes your solution for veterinarians. They don't have to actually contact my dog, Napoleon, to take his vital signs, right? They can just put this device in front of him. He's just sitting there. He's relaxed. We're there with him. And it's going to wind up at least checking on his vitals so they can get a baseline for what it's looking like. Exactly. And that's the concept we're building towards too. So to again, take a step back. So when I was in this medical convention trying to show the device for baby monitoring, I met Dr. Bregman, who's now on our board advisor for the company. And he came up and asked me like, hey, can you do this for animals, right? So can you detect animals breathing? And I said, for a minute, I wasn't sure how it would work for him. And then he explained to me how on a day-to-day basis that he sees almost like 10 animals a day or something. And that's an industry average. And this two things going on, right? So you have vet techs who get the animal intake process and then he sees them. And if you can imagine them, they come in, he has to take the vitals and then he starts analyzing what needs to happen next. The second big thing is surgery. Now, practically every companion animal you have, dogs or cats have to be either neutered or spayed. And now comes to a point like you need to monitor them post-surgery. Usually what they do is they have specifically one or two days, they focus on surgery days, they call it. And these animals are all lined up for surgery. And when they do a surgery, he does one, then comes the next one and the next one. And then it's the post-op surgery. What happens at that point of time, they need to monitor how the animals are doing. At this point, there's no other way other than just going physically, checking how the animals are doing, right? So you go in and check, you visually see them. Now, if it's an intensive case, then what happens is that they put in wires, check on the animal every 15 minutes, get the vitals down, and then you go to the next animal. So this is his pain point with other veterinarians. So you have an intake process where sometimes you know the animal very well, that's fine. But what happens when it's a feral cat or anything of the exotic pets? Are you going to put your hand and try to touch them? Are they going to respond back the same way? And you never meet a veterinarian who's not bitten. So we're trying to move away from a less stress point of view for animals as well as the veterinarians during the intake process, and then also the post-op recovery. And also the third case we also found out by Dr. Bregman, he told us, is that overnight hospitalization of animals. So if you talk about veterinarians who are not involved in emergency clinics, basically what they do is if the animal comes in and it's pretty much a case where they can't handle, they usually refer them to an emergency clinic down the road or sometime a few miles away, right? So the best way to now, with our device, Wet Guardian, is you're able to monitor the animal throughout the night. 
And because it's also got a video feed, the vet doesn't have to be at the clinic. So he can go home, he can take his phone up and see how the animal's doing. If the vitals are spiking up, they can go back, check on the animal. But the biggest difference is it's not like one of those cases like you leave the animal overnight, you don't know how the animal's doing, you're worrying about it. Then you come back the next day and hopefully the animal's alive. So that kind of case will be eliminated because here you at least know that they'll be able to see the animal. And we also have a reporting mechanism. So end of the day, if they come back the next day, you have all the history of the animal. Was there any pain recovery? If the animal was moving around, all that analysis can be done at this point of time. So I'm a veterinarian. I have 15 animals that are overnight staying at my office and I go home. How many devices right now from VetGuardian would I need to be able to monitor these animals? Is it one per animal at this moment? Yeah, right now it's one per animal. And usually they will not have more than a few animals because it's like if they have so many animals, it's kind of hard to monitor them at the same time. So it's one per animal at this point in time. In the future, we'd love to improve the technology so we get more than one at the same time using our device. And as it stands now in my veterinarian office, if I go home for the night and I don't have this technology, I'm assuming the animals are monitored either by things I've hooked them up to, like it would be at a hospital, or maybe they're not monitored at all until I come back the next morning? Exactly. And this is the thing, right? They cannot leave an animal hooked up to any wires. And this comes back to the first point you made. If humans don't like wires, if you don't like to be hooked onto wires the whole night, how do you think animals are going to react? So the vet has limited choices. Either the animal is sedated with wires on, but he needs to come and check at least once or twice to see how that is. Or two, he has to just leave the animal overnight with no other information on the animal until he comes back the next day morning. Yeah, my dog Napoleon would have lasted maybe two or three seconds before tearing off all of those wires. So when you talk to veterinarians about this, is this something that they are just automatically excited about? Like this is obviously an improvement. I would want to adopt this or is there some hesitation or are they skeptical or is there a reason why they would say, yeah, I don't need that. It's nice, but I don't need that. So here's what I love about it. So when I start talking to veterinarian about this device initially, they're not able to visualize what it is, right? And it takes a few minutes when I start explaining. So there's no connection. There's no wires at all. And then I really see that aha moment when you see the eyes go up and they just, wow, you're telling me that there's a device where I can just keep it in front of the animal and get its vitals with no wires? I mean, that just blows their minds. So that really, really helps them a lot. Now, the old school veterinarians who have done the same way of working with animals, that's fine. But what I've also recognized is that this product is something which will grow into the industry. It's like, yes, there are veterinarians who are buying the device at this point in time. They like using it. And for example, we have one of them at San Diego Zoo. We talked to the veterinarian out there and he says, yeah, this is exactly what you said it is. You set it up, you set it on the animal, you walk away, then you take your phone up and see how the animal's doing. Think about taking a lunch break, right? You finish a surgery, you set the animal up, you want to take a break, you want to grab coffee, you take up your phone and see how the animal's doing those 20 minutes. So that's the points which you have learned at this point in time, how veterinarians are benefit from using the device. And if you want to see this device, if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, what does this look like or how does it work? You can go to vetguardian.pet or you can just Google vetguardian. It'll pop up as one of your top search results. And they have a nice video on there where it shows you what it looks like, how it works. And you kind of get a better feel for what the device itself looks like. Now, let's just talk for a second, Vic, about the cost. So I'm a veterinarian. I'm excited about this. I've had my aha moment. This is going to improve my practice. 
Are you finding that the cost of the device is in the range where they're saying, yeah, this is definitely worth it? Or is it sort of a luxury where they say, hey, at the price point, it could improve my practice, but maybe it's just too much for me to take on? It's actually a great point. Here's the thing, right? So we price this at the same price they would buy a surgical unit. Now, a surgical unit costs anywhere between 3000 to about $6,000. They use it for, for surgery basis. So think about a device, pretty much the same price point. We're not talking too expensive, not in the 10000s or something like that. But here's the point, which is really important. You can now start using the device to post-monitor animals. The only way they do right now after surgery is just physically looking at the animals, how it's doing. And it's a pen and paper-based process. Every 15 minutes, if the animal is doing well, they note down the heart rate, respiration and temperature. They come back every 15 minutes, and this is a purely a paper-based method. So think about a process now that they're able to do this all automatically. All the information is created finally in a PDF file for that animal patient record. And then you can also start charging your customers because now you have a way of telling them, look, this is a post-op medical recovery process we follow, and it just charges another 5 or $10 on the bill to the customer. So they're pretty much within six to seven months, they make up their money for all they've spent on the device. And all the free time that they mentioned. So so is there anyone else doing this? This idea obviously seems great to me, having heard lots of ideas. This idea seems like it's obviously simple to implement and it's going to save me time as a veterinarian. It's going to save my staff time and I'm going to get better results. And not a secret per se, but in the medical community, including with humans, paper-based charting is still the norm. And what you just mentioned is also true of humans making rounds, right? I'm a finance guy. I'm an investor. I live in a world of algorithms that automatically chart for me everything that happens. There's alerts, there's highs, there's lows. But with humans, we're still jotting down a lot of what has gone on. And there is not a centralized tracked record. So you're also improving record keeping, as you mentioned with this device. So is there anyone else doing this? This seems like other people must have thought about this. Do you have competitors? If I had any competitors getting into the animals, I don't know, at this point of time, we seem to be the only ones in the market. We get to know what's happening because we go to trade shows. We talk to people around. We are tying up with some of the distributors out there, which are pretty prominent in the vet industry. As far as I know, when it comes to companion animals, we're the very first ones who are doing this. So what is the biggest hurdle for this not being successful, so to speak? What would trip you up aside from just a failure of the technology itself? What would not allow this to gain mass acceptance? Okay, so what are the three? There's two or three reasons. Either the product was not accepted because it's way beyond its time. Or two, there's so much investment put into the company that you're not getting the value of return. And when you don't get the value of return, then obviously, even though you have general acceptance, you're not able to pay the kind of dividends what people are looking for, and then it fails. They're not able to raise more money to keep everyone happy. All the money we've raised is from the government, like state funds, and two, from family and friends. And we hit milestones every single time we said we're going to do something. Now, we could have raised money earlier, and I'm not saying that I didn't try, but what I've always found is that the more we invest in our own time and efforts, the more value we are able to get out of the company at this point in time. So basically what's happening is we are at a point where we need to scale up and scale up quickly, and we have to start working towards getting to a larger market. Now, let's say it does not happen. We don't get a larger market. The fallback is we continue to make sales and we continue to grow, not to the expectation we have, but we grow to a point where it gets mass acceptance. And one of the reasons we're doing that is we're trying to tie up with a local couple of universities around the country. One is Mississippi State University and Louisiana State University to take the device and have them to test it and publish papers on it. 
What we want to do is the next generation of veterinarians to start using the device in their veterinarian schools. And when they come out of the schools, they really get to know how to use the device. And this would be a general acceptance. And we hope that it will create a requirement like you would need the device as you would need a pair of stethoscopes or something like that. Well, it certainly sounds like you have a good plan. And again, to me, it sounds like you have something that is an obvious improvement. We here at The Cade look forward to tracking your product. Now, taking a step back and talking about yourself, you were born in India. You came to the U.S. and studied at Ohio State. And now you're here inventing things. What led you to want to become a problem solver on your own? Sort of, hey, let's take on these challenges versus just taking a more traditional track where you have a job instead. Yeah, so I think being an entrepreneur, I think it's more like you were born with an artistic gift or something. So I didn't know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't my idea, but I had an effect of like, hey, how do I make things better in life? I mean, the question was always about why. Why are things this way? Why are things that way? So that always drives me to figure out, okay, what can we make things better in life? So there's simple things which you never take it for granted. For example, I was reading this book about how the initial cars were created in the mid-1950s. When you open one side of the door and close the other side of the door, the other door on the other side would open up. So things like this is just invention and things get better and better during time. So I just fit into the mold of someone who wants to make things better. And for coming back to the wires example, it's a small thing. I mean, people can live with wires. There's no problem. But there's some segment of the human population who don't like wires. So why not give them something which they do away with? And I'm trying to solve the problem. It's interesting to hear you talk about asking the why question. And obviously, you mentioned the story of human innovation is really improvement, which is very true when it comes to efficiency, especially. And and I'm already thinking we start with this kind of device, right? But then in the future, you may have artificial intelligence working on you entirely, and then a human is maybe somewhere else. And, And you could think of a wide range of applications where that's beneficial, whether it's in the military field or it's in a disease scenario, right? During a pandemic, now you're not going to have doctors and nurses contacting as often their patients directly if they don't have to. And of course, you can imagine a ladder of improvements from there. So leave us, Vic, with some words of wisdom. You've embarked on this journey. You've acquired a lot of experience. You've had a lot of highs and lows like any other entrepreneur. What are some words of wisdom you would share with our audience about really anything that you've encountered that you feel is just a really important thing that others could benefit from? So there's one thing I just, I mean, this happened like last year. We were using the device in Akron Zoo. We were getting the vitals of a lion, sedated lion. They had just finished surgery and they said, okay, let's use the device and get the vitals. So we set this up and then we were lucky enough to hold the paw of the lion. And while feeling this huge paw, a thought occurred to me. And I tell this to a lot of people who I meet. Nature has made this lion, right? I mean, it's taken evolution and got to a point where it just created this most powerful beast in the world. And here we are, mankind, I'm able to get its vitals with no contact. So it just put me in a phrase that, you know, nature at some point may have slowed down the evolution of nature of what it does, but humans continue to evolve and we can evolve to the better and we continue to work with nature and make things better. I think we will just completely be a better society as we move ahead. And that is definitely the goal, right, of innovation in the first place. As you mentioned, see the world around you, look at what can be improved, take that chance and embark on the journey of trying to improve it. 
Vic, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd be remiss if I did not mention, of course, that you finished fifth amongst many, many competitors who are very, very competitive in the Cade Prize, which rewards inventors really from around the South and entrepreneurs who demonstrate a creative approach to addressing problems in their area of expertise. Vic, you are the CEO of Structured Monitoring Products Incorporated. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Radio Cade is produced by the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida. This podcast episode's host was James DeVirgilio, and Ellie Tom coordinates inventor interviews. Podcasts are recorded at Hardwood Soundstage and edited and mixed by Bob McPeak. The Radio Cade theme song was produced and performed by Tracy Collins and features violinist Jacob Lawson. Thank you.